Hello and welcome to Lutheran Stuff No Drama, the No Drama Podcast. I'm Pastor Hoffman and with me as always is Zach Lesher. Say hello, Zach. Hey, everyone. So, uh, let's see, we got a new week coming up here and uh, what do you what you got going on this week? Uh, going back to a kitchen job, so we gotta go over there and finish uh, this week. Oh, you're oh you're you're redoing it? Or I mean, no, uh, we were waiting on um, the quartz countertops, so now we have the tile, the backsplash, and then I have the under cabinet trim, and then all the uh, crown to put up around the cabinet. So sweet, dude! I can't imagine the honeydew list you must have at home. Uh, <laughs> it's like the mechanic driving around in the beater. Uh, <laughs> things here, they sit for a while. So I keep my promises to my wife, but they may take years, not days or months. Yeah, I saw a coffee cup I think you could use. If It says, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, and you don't need to keep asking me every six months. Exactly. I'll get to it. <laughs> Oh man! So, uh, by the way, uh, you've you've pointed out when we were talking earlier, some people had some really good stuff to say about our podcasts. They're enjoying us, and in for bush leaguers, apparently we are able to convey a message that doesn't just sound like you know heavy breathing apes. So we're doing pretty well. I'm glad to hear that people think so. Anyway. Yeah, we appreciate all the uh, listeners and hope that uh, you find everything edifying. So if we're going to continue on with our uh, with our Romans, we'll start with Romans and we'll get into some other stuff. And uh, uh, and I this is a this is a section here that uh, you've got memorized, which will come in handy. Uh, it's Romans chapter six. And I think this we're really going to dig into some serious gold here. Uh, I'll read, uh, I'll go for the first section, just, just the first through 14 verses. Uh, St. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Don't do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. And this is where we're at so far. And I was really disappointed by this because there is literally nothing good we can glean from this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if we start picking apart some of the evangelical arguments. This is an entire baptism <laughs> text. Paul. <laughs> well, this is this is just traumatic. For the followers of Zwingli. It's traumatic. Because Jesus here, uh, St. Paul, uh, is, is confessing that Christ has not just given us an ordinance, something he's ordering, but rather he's giving us some good stuff and he's imputing righteousness um, that he, only he can impute to us. And, and he does this by means of baptism. Yes, exactly. And, you know, the, the ones who want to take it out of context, and Peter says that uh, uh, people twist Paul's writings to their own destruction, but they, they only see that we too might walk in newness of life. And I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> uh, the newness of life is now you've been brought from death to life in your baptism, that uh, you are alive in Christ. You've been dead and buried with him in baptism and given faith. And the newness of life you have now is a life of faith. This is not talking about your holy, righteous works that you're going to do to earn your salvation or your way to heaven. That's not what walk in newness of life is. But rather, it's the life of faith, life under the cross. I love that. Um, again, because I think when we, like you said, twisting Paul to our own damnation would actually take baptism and the life that we are given and turn it into some sort of work. It's uh, because the, 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 the newness of life we walk in is one of freedom. And, and by freedom, I don't mean anarchy. I mean freedom, like, for example, loving your neighbor is something you're free to do. Yeah, it's it's this is a classic bait and switch. Let me give you the good news. Here, kid, have a piece of candy. He opens it up and it's a chunk of broccoli on Where's the good news in that? You know what I mean? Uh, there is. So when, so when they twist the text like that, you know, it's it's a bait and switch. I have some good news for you. Now get busy working your way to heaven. <laughs> Oh, that's awful. Yeah, I think you're you're there was a little bit of a there was a little bit of an internet leg there, but Zach said it's a bait and switch that says, "Here kid, here's a piece of candy." And he opens it up and it's got broccoli in it. Now, whether you like broccoli or not, it isn't what was just advertised. So, yeah, that is the classic bait and switch cuz whenever I use a vegetable analogy, somebody will always go, "Hey, I happen to like asparagus." And I'm I'm going, "That's not the point." <laughs> <laughs> the point is, you were offered a chocolate bar and you got stuck with broccoli and you that's just not what it was advertised. <laughs> 
Exactly. So, so Paul, let's see. Let's say what Paul says is advertised for. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we'll, we will shall we certainly be united in a resurrection like his. Right. That is what's going on here. You are you're dead, Christian. In your baptism, you are dead. God raised you to a life of faith again in Christ and united him to himself. Well, there's a there's no bait and switch in that because Paul is so clear saying, you know, uh, like you said, the the baptism you have is a baptism into his death and resurrection and there's no ifs ands or buts about that. So what is the resurrection of of Jesus signify? Well, it signifies the end of death. It signifies the end of worry. It signifies the end of sin and the devil and then and then somebody turns around and goes now uh now you're supposed to to finish out this good work or something i don't know so it's yeah this is why we can't have nice things i say that in bible study all the time this is why we can't have nice things exactly and and if we could jump down to verse 12 now because you're baptized because you are saved let not sin therefore reign, or you could say rule there, in your mortal body mm -hmm. to make you obey its passion. Why? Because you're a Christian now. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. You, sin no longer has dominion over you. Uh, God does, and the Holy Spirit will wage war within you. Now follow the Spirit and not the flesh. Why? Because... You are saved. That's really good. Um, over the last week, I was in uh, Bend, Oregon for a conference where Dr. Gibbs spoke on that uh, passage right there, you know, and to say, you, you guys need to remember why the resurrection is so important, and you need to remember why St. Paul is using these words. Uh, what does a mortal body do? And we're all just kind of staring at him. <laughs> And he's like, come on. And, uh, and somebody goes, die? Right! So he's like, you got to look away from that. You got to remember that you have been baptized into death and resurrection. And so stop letting your old Adam, who is just wanting to die, uh, run the show. And so I was just going, yes, that is really true. And Paul even says, your mortal body. Well, it's mortal. It dies. And so, and even here I'll say, verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God uh, as those who have been brought from death to life, again, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Well, I was reading Luther's commentary on this uh, just before we started, and he was he was uh, likening this not to people to say that we'll never sin again, but people who who are saying, "Well, I'm a Christian, so now I should act as I should act as though I am not a Christian, and that'll be okay." And um, and that's not what he's saying. He's saying that you know um, you you present your yourself to say, you know, Lord. Instead of me robbing banks, you know, here, <laughs> uh, I should be serving you. And so here's my hands. And, and Luther will always say, well, what does your neighbor need? Your hands know what to do.
Paul touches on that very text in another spot when he says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him work doing honest labor that he might have something to share. Yep. Isn't that wonderful how that works? You're not stealing anymore. You're doing honest labor. Why? So you can have something to share. Yeah, it's just the opposite of stealing. So if this is too much you, you, you for anyone, verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. I agree. That should be something that people feel a sense of freedom. Again, because... why do we why do we uh why do we serve not because it's the only way we're going to go to heaven but because now we're freed to love our neighbor without checking the book and without checking the the register how much did i do is it enough did i pay for my salvation yet you know uh it sh- that sense of freedom should it should end the the debate over works but it, it hasn't it doesn't it just hasn't <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. The Spirit is going to uh, cause every Christian to do good works because it's God's nature, and He's He indwells us, you know. But you have the fight of uh, the old Adam versus the new man, which is Christ, you know, by the Spirit. So, um, but like you said, verse fourteen here gives us some rest, man. Mm-hmm. So when we do fall short, when old Adam does take the steering wheel, as we were talking about, don't let Adam drive. <laughs> uh, if he does get the wheel, the spirit will eventually bump him off, and there's grace. Sure. So don't well, despair. Yep, I'm still working on that song, Old Adam, Take the Wheel. But um, I I want to look at the next, because the next five verses... Uh, actually, it's eight for the next section here. Are really good because I believe the it says so. It's Saint Paul kind of talking about well, what do we do with all this good stuff? Um, starting with verse fifteen, what then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves? You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, But what fruit were you getting at at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. 
but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So uh, here we go. And, and always jokingly on the uh, sanctification debate here, uh, St. Paul really, I think, open and shuts the doors on this. Absolutely. And notice uh, uh, in the in the first text, what then are we to are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace by no means. Basically, what Paul is saying there is if you think now that you're saved, you can just go be super evil. <laughs> you know, that's what he's rebuking. That's not how this works. Yeah. That's... Okay. So he's, he's not talking about justification by works here. He's saying you don't get the gospel. You don't understand it if that's that's your line of reason there. For sure. Doesn't that just exactly sound like it's coming right out of the old Adam's handbook? So what you're saying is because he's always trying to be the old Adam. So when I was under the law, you were telling me that I had to do the law, but I couldn't do the law. So now that I'm under grace, can I go back to being lawless? <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. So, okay, Jesus died for me, grace, and so I can go be super evil. That's not how this works, people. Yep. This is not how this goes. You got to read Luther's commentary on this because he really hits on that. And you know he was no friend to the antinomian. <laughs> no, no, because the law, we confess that the law still serves a function, three functions in the Christian life as a curb, a mirror, and a guide. It's not there to save you, but it's there to curb you, mirror you, and guide you. Sure. And so, hey, and that's perfect to lead into sanctification there, so. Well, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the thing right here, and he was just saying... Um, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So um, it's saying that it is a normal thing who is rescued and taken away from the lawless ones. And as we was talking in the earlier verses in 6 of uh, putting your, your members uh, as slaves to righteousness. Well, you know what? Those people are called upon to to do good works and don't lose your mind over those two words and so you know i think i think there's just a little too much sunburn or something people's got sunburn all over their bodies when they hear sanctification and they act like they're getting slapped on their sunburn <laughs> yeah and you know what uh, there's a broad and narrow sense to sanctification so uh, who is it, Peter, that says, and everybody who hopes in him purifies himself um, to be holy as he is holy. But, you know, again, people read that as he, I, me, do. That's <laughs> not that's not how they're speaking here, though, because this is beyond our capabilities. I can no longer uh, sanctify myself than I can... Uh, make a pot of coffee correctly the way my wife likes it. Um, <laughs> so, you see, if I can't make the, the coffee correctly, do you really think God is going to leave me in charge of my justification or my sanctification? No. No. These are fruits of the Spirit. Well, the and Spirit does this work in us. Even, even when I preach to my congregation members... Uh, about what good works are and that they're called to do them, I would be showing the height of ignorance by saying God has placed me in charge 
of creating their sanctification either because that takes the word of God away uh, from God and says, now I wield it according to God's will. Well, no, I just preach the text. <laughs> yes, and you know what? You saying that just jogged to mind John 17 where Jesus in his high priestly prayer says to the disciples, you are holy because of the words I have spoken to you. Yep, absolutely. So, And that's, that's what sanctification is. Uh, why don't you define that for us, Pastor? Well, you, you already gave us the good, uh, the good intro saying that there are two, indeed, um, two, two, the narrow and the broad view. The narrow view is the one that you see very clearly in our catechism as far as sanctification in terms of being made holy or set apart. And this is something that is done by the Holy Spirit. And by set apart, I mean... To say that, you know, when you're put off into another camp, well, there's the world camp, and then there's the camp of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So when we're set apart, it's to be set apart with him. And that's, that's, that's defining it narrowly. And broadly, it's to say that the sanctification that comes about in our lives, uh, when we, I think this comes up in almost all of our podcasts, that kind of sanctification, the life that we lead, isn't one that's obtusely uh, falling into our old ways and just blowing off everything. But it is one that does love love your neighbor. It is one that does serve, as Paul calls you, a doulos, a slave or a servant. And, um, and it's okay if we're a slave to the righteousness of Christ to say, well, that's the master that we're serving when I love my neighbor. So there is the, the aspect of the life that we live as in the broader and then in, in the specific sense of being set apart by the Holy Spirit and faith. So those are the two biggies for, for sanctification. And it's, you know, when you increase in your sanctification, that wouldn't be a time where you were saying I was pushed closer to Jesus, but it would be a time to say, you know what? I've matured in my faith and I understand how I can love my neighbor even more and those kind of things. But for people that are always, always worried about how far along they are on that, I, I, I don't know, that just stresses me out because it's a, it's a life. It's not a, a singular event when you're talking about the life of sanctification. And uh, when people get worried that my members aren't sanctified enough <laughs> or fast enough, it's a mess. So we yes, exactly, and we don't hold to progressive sanctification. That's what Pastor Hoffman was referring to there, where you go, okay, I'm at twenty percent, now I'm at thirty, forty, <laughs> fifty, sixty. I'm at ninety nine percent holiness now. Yeah, uh, almost there, Batman. No, 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 no. What what we're referring to is is sometimes I like to replace the word sanctified with uh, holified, just for my own thinking. <laughs> So I was holified, sanctified today at God's altar by take and eat, this is my body, take and drink, this is my blood. That's, that's Christ sanctifying me and cleansing me, uh, purging me. I received it in absolution also in the preached word this morning. Um, so all that is, is and uh, in a broad sense, what Pastor Hoffman was talking about too was uh, as you grow in your knowledge of the faith, you're moving from spiritual milk, Jesus loves me, this I know, 
to spiritual meat, uh, understanding the weightier matters of Scripture. Sure. And and it, the truth of the matter is, and I believe Scripture does a good job of reflecting this, somebody who has the Holy Spirit and goes from the milk to the meat, it does actually change how you live. I'm not saying that... I'm not saying that all of a sudden you become better than everybody else, but uh, there's a very serious consideration that we need, we should not overlook is the Holy Spirit who's given us faith. It means that when we say we trust what Jesus says, that it matters to us and that and our lives, our lives become different. Yeah, I would, I would just tell any, I don't like telling Christians to look inward, but just think about where you were at one time and look where you're at now. And that is the fruit of faith by the Spirit. So, you know, at, at one time you might have thought, well, I could lie to anybody, but now you're like, how could I ever tell a lie? Yeah. That is the, the fruit of, of sanctification, the Spirit in your life. But again, don't look inward. Look to Word and Sacrament. Look to Christ. Is the, the the deeper in you look, the more Roman you become. Well, I I would even say we the more Buddhist, and and I'm gonna argue we've got a lot of Buddhist Christians out there. So you know that that's fair too. I'll I'll uh, I'll humor that. Because even even uh, Roman the Roman Catholics are aren't gonna they they'll still talk about the to the cross and clinging to the cross and other things, but. The Buddhists are the ones to say, you know, if you want to know what's good and everything, look inward. And uh, whenever I look inward, all I see is a train wreck. I see indigestion. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a little messy. So, oh, 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 I want to touch on that for a second. That is a part of sanctification. When you look inward and you see the train wreck, the more and more you look inward as you are being sanctified in this life, uh, the more you're around word and sacrament, um, the more you're going to uh, realize how wretched you truly are as opposed to good. So uh, the more sanctified you are, you're actually going to see uh, more yuck when you look inward than anything good. Sure. If we're not looking to Christ and we're not seeing a train wreck, then we you should really, really <laughs> think about what you're looking at. Um, you know, as we go on here, uh, was there was there uh, one of the trouble with our Lutheran stuff? No drama group is that we have a lot of people that have amazing questions, and we have about six minutes left. Um, and I'm just looking through these, and there's a lot of really good ones. And I'm trying to think of one that we could give, uh, give real, real attention to without uh, having to just blow over it. Um, was there one that you thought was good? Yeah, I thought maybe uh, if we only got six minutes left, why don't we take uh, Josh Baker's question here? Uh, what does it mean that we have a good shepherd, shepherd, specifically regarding the text of today's lesson? So today's lesson was on the good shepherd if you're on the three-year lectionary, but not, uh, not if you're on the one-year. So what does it mean that Jesus is the good shepherd? Well, this is a good question because it plays into the entire history of the Christian church and it even goes into the Old Testament when we see what, in fact, 
well, we have to define a shepherd as one that cares for the sheep and the one that protects them, feeds them, uh, leads them besides cool waters, gives them good grass, and even lays down his life for them. Now, last week, the gospel text was Jesus Christ saying that he was the good shepherd and uh, he was saying, and this is the one-year lectionary that I'm currently using, but he was saying a hired hand, now keep this in mind, a hired hand may be looking like he's doing shepherd stuff, but uh, when the danger comes, Jesus says a hired hand cuts and runs. But the, uh, the, the shepherd, the true shepherd, is there to the bitter end and will lay down his life for the sheep. So it, it's when we talk about vocation, a true shepherd is, is there for the purpose of caring for and protecting the sheep. That's right. And uh, let us not forget that we are all sheep. And that is not a... Um, sheep, uh, and sheep like to wander and when Jesus is saying he's the good shepherd uh, he says leave the 99 and go after the one he's always concerned for the lost mm-hmm. and uh, the shepherd has a staff and that staff is not to look cool it's got a hook on the end and a poke on the other end and uh you know, that's what our Lord does to us because we're stubborn, idolatrizing, covetous murderers. Uh, we need to be poked into repentance and then pulled back into the gospel. So um, that's the whole point of having a good shepherd or Christ making the illustration of him being the good shepherd is he's doing the work, man. We're not, you know, and he us and we don't. Well, He's you, taking care of us. You make a good point with the shepherd staff, and, and it brings Psalm 23 to mind. Uh, thy rod and thy, sh- and thy, thy staff, they come for me. Well, as you pointed out, the staff does this. It guides sheep, right? It cares for them. But a rod has its own purpose. A rod is for the strict purpose of bashing any creature that has any any uh idea of harming the sheep you don't use the rod on the sheep use it on wolves and so if they're going to eat if they're going to eat one of those you're they're going to feel the wrath of his rod but the sheep on the other hand um when they're like up you're getting too close to that cliff come here come here come here (laughs) or hey you're falling behind you're going to be in danger poke 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 hurry up (laughs) so um and those are normal things, but the rod is there strictly to fend off any creature that would bring about harm to the flock. Exactly. So, yeah, I think that pretty, uh, for the time we have, that, that wraps up, you know, sheep and, and shepherd and, you know, why Jesus is the good shepherd. And, and that's what makes us sheep. So. Uh, there's a question on here about piety without pietism, and for that I would direct you back to episode uh, four or five, where we did the music and movies. Yeah, episode four, can we listen to heavy metal, which, you know, it's, of course, it's metal. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely a good a good primer for that to say, well, what are we talking about? Definitely. 
Well, I, it, it went and happened again, Mr. Lesher. The time flew by as if we were, you know, just blasted. Uh, I totally love doing this podcast with you. And I look forward to next week when we pick up with Romans 7 and another brilliant question for the Bush Leaguers. So, um, for, for Zach Lesher, I'm Pastor Hoffman, and this has been No Drama Podcast. Take care until next week. Have a blessed week, everybody.